Well, as you uh, heard mentioned a couple of times today, we did Heart for the Kingdom last week and uh, talked about missions and took missions, faith promises, and all of that um, last Sunday. And together, in this service, we pledged almost, or we made faith promises of almost $13,000. Amen. Amen. We're rejoicing and praying that God would make that come to pass so that the uh, tabernacles can be built and sent, or they can be constructed and sent to be built so that churches can happen, amen? Uh, together with the Spanish ministry, we've pledged over, or made faith promises of over $16,000, and so we're just rejoicing for what God's doing, amen? Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand for that, Amen. Now, if you weren't here, it's not too late to get involved. If you would like to say, hey, let me in on that fun stuff too. Um, we took uh, faith promises last week, and what we asked you to do was use an offering envelope in front of you, put your name on it, and write faith promise, and how much over the next 90 days you're trusting and feel like the Lord would have you to give over and above your normal tithe and offering. This is 100% going overseas to missions. Um, we're not going to stop doing what we do locally in-house, um, here in the community and that kind of stuff. That's, none of that's changing. We're just emphasizing alone the overseas work of our missions program here at Harvest and, and asking you to get involved with that. And so, uh, again, it's over the next 90 days we're asking you to get involved, and that's, that's where we're at on that, okay? Um, as you do give towards that, please, 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 this is really important, please make sure that you market missions you don't market missions, it's just going to go into the general storehouse fund. And that's fine. It's not going to change whether or not God's going to bless you as you give in obedience, but it will change how we direct the funds to go. Does that make sense? It'll just show up as a regular tithe and offering, get put in with the regular tithe and offerings and not get designated to go to the missions projects that we have. So please help us with that and make sure that you do that, okay? Um, this week, we're going to continue on with our, uh, our fun... Uh, Engaged series, my iPad has given me fits, so it's back to the good old-fashioned printouts. I didn't realize they used that big of a font, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I can see that from down there. You want to hold this, Rick? I bet I could see it from there. So on my computer, I just didn't realize it was ginormous. So we're going to continue our, our Engage theme today. How many of you have ever had times in your life that you thought, this is it, I'm done, I just can't take any more? Good, I'm glad we're all on the same page and in the same boat and understand exactly where that comes from. You know, this week, and, and there are times, Pastor Mike and I were talking about it even this morning, you know, there are times as a pastor that writing a sermon comes really easy. It's like, okay, this is all flowing, and it's like you've got the direct hotline to God, and you're in your prayer time, and it's just as easy as deciding if you're going to eat uh, Chinese food or Mexican food, because Mexican food wins all the time, right? It's just that simple for, for some of us, okay? Then there are times like this week that it is labor. I mean, hard, hard work. And you're like, Lord, do you even love me anymore? Do you have anything to say? And you have several different ideas and thoughts, and you're like, well, I'll go this way. No, 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 that's, that's definitely not where we're supposed to go. And finally, you know, at the, you know, the 11th hour, the Lord, you know, finally says, okay, fine, here. It's the way I feel. And so today, I, I just really have settled on, 
something that God's been stirring in me for a while, that there's more in you. There's more in you. It may be hard, it may be difficult, it may be painstaking, but there's more in you than what you know. It's a common theme that you see in Scripture. It's a common theme that you see in life. It's a common theme you see everywhere around you. I'm telling you that this sermon was more difficult because I want you to know that, number one, I'm a human being just like you. And as much as some people think that I just sit around and pray and read the Bible and fast and do that kind of stuff, that life still has to happen and work still has to be done and construction projects still have to happen and sawdust has to get vacuumed up. And and there's still stuff like that that goes on in life and there's work that has to be accomplished. And it takes time. I don't have a hotline to God. I don't have a direct download link so I can get today's latest, greatest message. I don't go online and get everybody else's messages either. I pray. God, what do you have to say for us and these wonderful family that call Harvest Home? So I've prayed and prayed and prayed earnestly and prayed and prayed earnestly that God would take today's message and make it something that would be a blessing to you because I think we're all in the same kind of a spot. I remember when I was a young, younger man and I played football. Now this was, you know, back in the ancient of days when I had a head full of hair and only mocked my father for being bald. Now I'm the one being mocked for not having any hair by my own children's. I think the Bible calls that sowing and reaping. Some people call it karma. Either way, God got even. I'm just glad my dad didn't call out two she-bears like Elijah did, because I'd have been dead for how many times I mocked him for being bald, and lo and behold, I find myself in the same shoes, you know? So when I was a young man and playing football, our coaches always had a way, and you've seen this, right, in sports, with your kids and your grandkids and whatever it was, whether it was football or whatever, but the coaches always had a way of motivating you to do a little bit more than you thought you could. Just a little bit, because if they could get you to go a little bit more, you would realize what you were capable of, and you would continue to strive to do more. Now, some coaches have different methods. One of my coaches' favorite method to motivate you to give a little bit more was, if you don't, I'll run you till you die. And if he got to that point one time, he lined everybody up on the, on the sideline and, and, and on the five-yard marks, and you had to run across the field and back, across and back, and that counted as one. It's called a gasser. Seventeen of them later, about four people hadn't given up their lunch from the day and their breakfast from the day and tried to pass out. We all realized we could give a little bit more, Right? There's a little bit more to give. But then once he had you properly motivated, he could get a little bit more out of you as far as production. What we didn't realize is that the pain we went through in that moment made things work down the road for what was next. And so as we got to the fourth quarter in the football game, when everybody else was worn out, we looked around and felt like it was still the first first quarter because we had been prepared. Sometimes in life, God takes us through what seems like the most miserable of circumstances, and it is 100% to prepare us for what the fourth quarter is going to look like. And you're going to look up and go, well, this was a breeze because of what he's prepared you for, not what you think you're prepared for. I'm going to show you in the Bible where this is at and how this this is true. And it was true even in scriptural times of how God prepared us and how he took what we might say is our failures and we can't do anymore. And he takes those and he catapults us from those to do something amazing for God. 
Now, I remember with my coaches, once they, once they got you down and you, you felt like you were just about to give out, they would shift gears just a little bit in their motivation. I remember there's a, there's a movie scene from the, the movie Facing the Giants. It was a Christian movie that was made. And this young man is doing the, what they call the death crawl. He's carrying a guy on his back, and he goes 100 yards, and he's almost to the very end, and the coach is literally on the ground crawling with him. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And finally he says, okay, that's enough. And the guy thought he just had to go 50 yards, but the coach got him to go 100 because he didn't realize what was in him. Some of you are facing some really, really hard situations. It would be easy to step back and go, I'm done. I'm throwing my hands up. Not only am I giving up on everybody else, but I'm giving up on God. If you'd been through what I've been through, Pastor, you would understand. You know what? I understand. But at the end of the day, you know what I also understand? I've read the end of the book, and I know who wins. I'm not going to give up today on what will be the future prize just because I don't like the situation I'm going through. There's more in you than that. There's more in you than what you're facing in this moment, in this momentary difficult situation. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's troubling. But God has got you. Hang in there. Today, I want to draw from the inspiration of, uh, of St. Pete. That's how I'm going to refer to Peter today. We want to draw from the inspiration of St. Pete to see how God used these kinds of moments. Because in this situation with Peter, Jesus does three things. He sees him, he calls him, and he empowers him. Okay, so if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to uh, John chapter number 21. That's where we're going to be at. We're not going to reference a ton of verses on the screen because we're going to reference the whole chapter. So you're probably going to need your Bible to flip over there so you can see where we're at, okay? Because first of all, It'd be easy for Peter to step back and go, well, I failed. I mean, think about, think about where he's at. Okay, he, this is the end of Jesus' life. Jesus is risen from the dead. He has shown himself to the disciples two times already. This will be the third time. In this moment, Peter is wondering what's next. Let's face it, his hopes are crushed. As a, as a, a young Jewish man, Jesus called him while he was fishing, which meant he hadn't made the cut as the best and the brightest of all the Jewish boys because he wasn't already with a rabbi. Jesus went and found 12 guys that weren't the best and the brightest and used them to turn the world upside down. So if you feel like you're disqualified because you're not the most educated, you're not the smartest and the most gifted, that's perfectly fine. You fit in perfectly well with the disciples. Jesus takes these guys and uses them, and here they are. Jesus has appeared to them. He's dead. He's resurrected, and they don't know what to do next, and they're sitting there, and Peter, at the beginning of chapter number 21, it says, so Peter, with the certain group that's with him, says, hey, guys, I'm going fishing, and they said, don't leave us. We're coming with you. They take off fishing, and, and, and the story of them going fishing is not just they went fishing. They went back to what was comfortable and what they knew. They went back to a a situation and a place that was familiar, that was before Jesus, and they're trying to figure out what are we supposed to do and how is this supposed to work. And it's at this place Jesus shows up. Along comes Jesus. He steps in there, and, and this is where Jesus sees Peter. He looks out on the boat and he sees Peter and the guys and they're fishing and he says, hey, hey, have you guys caught any fish? Because the Bible says they were close to shore and they said, no, we've been fishing all night. 
and we've caught nothing. It's the same way Jesus found them the first time. Have you caught anything? No. And what does Jesus tell them? The same thing. Let down your nets on the other side of the boat, and there you'll catch some fish. They do. They start to pull it up, and John, I love reading John's writing, because John loves to refer to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I know. I do this to my brother sometimes for kicks and giggles, right? Yeah, yeah, my brother and I were doing something, but I'm my parents' favorite kid. You know, that's what John's doing. He's kind of rubbing it, rubbing it in the rest of their faces, especially as he's writing this. Hey, I'm the one that Jesus really loved. Remember, he says that a couple of times. <clears throat> he says, it's the Lord. And what does Peter do? Peter does what Peter does. He jumps out of the boat. It says he grabbed his, his shirt, tied it around his waist, for he had stripped. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. Dives in the water because they're about 100 yards off the, water, off the coast and swims in because it's Jesus. Peter never thought before he acted, right? How many of you have one of those kids at home too? Yeah. How many of you have one that, that speaks before they think? How many of you, that's you? That's a different story. Anyway. What's Peter do? He jumps in and says, I'm going, that's Jesus I'm after, and takes off. That's where, this is where Jesus finds him. He sees him. Sometimes when we get into the most deepest, darkest, most difficult situations, we go back to what is familiar. And Jesus knows where to find us, and he comes looking for us in those places and says, hey, 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 come on, come back. And he sees us there. It doesn't say that he condemned him. It doesn't say that at all. It, does, it says that he, he didn't deny that he was there fishing. He didn't ridicule him for returning to what was familiar. He saw him and he loved him. He had compassion on him. And he, he, he sees him where they're at. Guess what? When we go through those dark, dark, deep seasons of wonder, and, and Lord, are you really able to do what you've said you can do? God, can you really bring healing? Because I'm not sure you can. I've not seen it happen in this moment. I'm not sure, God, that you're going to do what you've said. It's in those moments that Jesus sees you right where you are. He sees into your doubt. He sees into your concern. He sees into your worry. And he sees you there. But he will not leave you there. He sees you right where you're at. But he refuses to leave you there because he calls you. He calls you. So he calls out to St. Pete and he says, Hey, listen, you and the other disciples, after they finally make it to shore, this is where uh, something really interesting happens to me. Because the Bible says that they're sitting there, and they're, uh, 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 they've, they've gotten to the shore, and Jesus says, hey, bring me some of the fish you've caught. It doesn't say that they all went and got it. It says that Peter jumped up, ran, grabbed the net that was full of fish. It took all of them to get in. 153 fish. Why did the Bible get so specific? I don't know. 153 fish, and he brings the whole net to shore. And brings some of the fish and gives it to them. But in verse number 12, it gives us this really great insight that I want you to really pick, catch. Peter's sitting there with Jesus who's cooking fish on the fire. And Jesus said to him, come and have breakfast. That's simple enough, right? Hey, come have breakfast. He was there. Jesus was cooking. I want you to come have breakfast. 
that seems simple. It seems routine. But how often have we been in proximity to what Jesus was doing and never taken the time to enter into fellowship with him? See, when we're facing these difficult, dark, deep seasons where we're wondering, don't be so close to Jesus that you never have fellowship with him and miss out on what he's doing in that season. The, the, the thing that we're good at as human beings is to close ourselves off and to protect ourselves. Why do we build walls of isolation in life? It's to protect ourselves from the hurt we've endured in the past. What Jesus is inviting them is, hey, listen, let down your guard and come close and fellowship with me. Have breakfast with me. I've got fish and chips for you. Come on, come have bread. And, and, and the Bible says that he takes the fish, he breaks it, he blesses it, and gives it to them. That's a familiar story, huh? Because Jesus, he was good at taking the fish, he was good at blessing it, he was good at breaking it, and taking when they didn't have enough to feed the multitudes, I find in my deep, dark seasons, it's not about lack. It's about not knowing what to do with what God's already placed there. And God's reminding them, hey, the lessons I've already taught you when it was light and everything was great and we thought we were going to ride off into the sunset together, in these moments, the lessons are still the same. What I've brought into your life, bless it and break it and give it away. He calls Peter and says, you're not going to stay where you're at. I'm not going to leave you alone so that you have nothing left to do. I'm calling you. Come close to me. Come to where I'm at. Come close to me so that you can have fellowship with me. After all, what did Jesus refer to himself as? The bread of life? It's the idea that we're supposed to have fellowship with him and grow close. The problem we struggle with is humans. Man, Jesus, I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not sure you're enough in this season. I get there. I didn't expect today to be a shouting sermon. We start to worry. You know those worries have been there since the Garden of Eden. Why do you think Eve took a bite of the forbidden fruit in the first place? Because the devil convinced her that God's way wasn't enough. And that he was holding out on her and there was something she was missing out on. We find ourselves in the same situation. Here was Peter returning to what he always knew. And yet Jesus is calling us close. Peter was stuck wondering, God, what are you doing and how are you going to see me through? Jesus will always be enough and he will always place enough in your life. If you'll give him the chance to feed and nourish and fellowship with you, he is more than enough. Amen? He always has been and always will be. So Jesus sees Peter and the, the other disciples. He sees him and he calls him so that he can empower him. He empowers him. He's called Peter back into fellowship and he begins the restoration process. When you get down to verse number 15 in most of your books, uh, most of your Bibles in this particular place, it'll say that this is Jesus' threefold restoration of Peter. The beginning, it's the header over verse number 15. And in verse 15, 16, and 17, it's a familiar passage. It says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he said. A second time he asked Simon, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. 
And Jesus asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. This passage of scripture has been preached about maybe as much as every other passage of scripture in the Bible. And a lot is made of the distinguishing between the Greek words that are used there for love. There's three main Greek words, uh, uh, phileo, eros, and um, do what? Sorry, I, th- I thought I heard somebody holler. I'm sorry. That was an awkward moment for me. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> Jesus goes through the three, the three different phrases there. And he's asking, hey, do you love me so much you're willing to give it all unconditionally? Do you love me? And Peter never answers with the same kind of love. He never says yes. Finally, in the third time, Jesus relents and says, okay, do you phileo me? Do you have brotherly love for me? But Jesus doesn't leave it there because he goes on to tell him, hey, you know what, guess what? You're going to die and this is the way you're going to die. It's going to be this kind of death. And Peter gets a little bit indignant and says, well, what about that joker? The one that you love. (laughs) What is it of your business what happens to him? The point is, as Jesus said, hey, you may not be able to say right now because you're concerned that you won't be able to fulfill the commitment that you love me with everything that you've got. But I promise you one day you're going to show that that's the case. So he calls him and he empowers him. Listen, if Jesus looked at you, think about it, friends. If Jesus looked at you and said, hey, listen, one day you're going to give it all. And I promise what's within you is enough to do it. That's going to put a little steel in your spine. It's going to help you have the gumption to say, I'm going to stay with it and I'm going to do it and I'm going to stick it out because there's more within me than I know about. God has called me and given me a purpose and a plan that's more than what I can imagine. Friends, I don't know what you're facing today, but there's more in you. Let Jesus empower you. Let him call you. Let him say there is more there than what you realize that you can do. There's a, a series of movies. Any of you ever watched the Marvel comic movies that are out right now? There's a big series of them. They're, they're fun. They're fantastic. They are thrilling. And common thing, my, my oldest kid loves them, so we've seen lots of them. And, and as he goes through them, and every one of the characters, they are faced with this moment where they have to decide, do I have what it takes to do what's in front of me? To accomplish what's in front of me. And they all have to make that choice. Friends, you may not be a superhero. You may not be a Marvel character. We all have to make the same choice. Am I going to give what it takes? Am I going to do it? Am I going to give it all I've got? See, when Jesus looked at Peter, he wasn't saying, hey, you know what? You you failed. You can never do it again. He was restoring him and empowering him to accomplish it. It's not over. You may feel like you have failed God. You may feel like I have missed the boat. Friends, it is not over. There is more inside of you to be accomplished. There is more inside of you. Stay the course. Trust Jesus to see you through. He knows He's going to be able to accomplish if he will stay the course. If he will stay the course. And as I was really contemplating today, what, what's the point? The beginning of every sermon I write, I work on, there's a, 
on my sermon notes, there's an opening place where it says, what's the one sentence summary? Basically, what I try to boil it down is for those of you who only catch one thing, how many of you, only, how many of you fit in that category? You're going to make sure you catch one thing. I'll remember one thing you said today, preacher. Anyway. Some of you, I saw one honest hand like this. And I won't point, I won't point you out. I give you three points, and you know what I try to do every time? Make sure that they fit together, same, so it's easy to remember. But if you've got a one-sentence summary of one thing I want you to remember, what's the point of today? We have, given, we have been given everything we need for life and for godliness through Christ Jesus our Lord. Easter's coming up. What do we celebrate at Easter? The resurrection. Jesus came out of the grave, Right? How? He wasn't hunting Easter eggs. <laughs> you know how Jesus came out? The Bible tells us in Romans. It says that the very same power that raised him from the dead now dwells in us. In a minute, this is going to click and then you're going to love it. The very same power. Just look at your neighbor and say, the very same power. If your neighbor's sleeping, wake them up. The very same power. The, the very same power that raised him from the dead now lives in you. It lives in me. Friends, even a blind man could see that if the same power lived in Jesus and raised him from the grave and it lives in me, no matter what mountain is front of me, I've got the power to get through it. If I've got Jesus, I've got all I need. If I've got Jesus, there's nothing that I can face that's going to keep me from accomplishing what God has called me to. It doesn't matter what the doctor has said. The very same power that raised him from the dead now dwells in me. The same power. When I was 15 years old, I was at a weightlifting event at school and it was part of our off-season for football and I was maxing out on the squat. And I got down, and didn't have near my max what I was, would achieve that day. Didn't have nearly that amount of weight on the bench. And I got down and kind of lost my balance and leaned forward and just pulled it back, which is what they tell you in weightlifting to never do. And as I did and I pulled it back, I felt it. I went ahead and got it on up, wore it out through the workout for the rest of the day. But that started a course that for the next... 38, 23 years I've dealt with in my back. At that time, I actually fractured a portion of my back. Didn't know it until much later because I didn't go to the doctor immediately. Caused some issues with some discs. <clears throat> well, fast forward into my sophomore year, I played football. Pain kept progressing and getting worse and worse and worse. I get into wrestling and I'm spending most of our wrestling practice stretching because I think my back is just sore, it's a problem. Go see the doctor, and as I'm sitting there on the table, my dad's sitting there in the room, he goes to check my reflexes, and you know, they take out that hammer. 
Well, again, our family doctor there in Clinton, I grew up with his daughters, and so we were, we were all kind of close friends, and so he hit me a little harder than most doctors because he thought I was interested in his daughter. It wasn't the case <laughs> at that time, but that's a different story. So he hit me a little harder than most doctors would probably. My right leg kicks just like normal. He hits that left leg, nothing. And he looks at my dad, and he says, Junior, are you, you seeing this? Yeah. Again, nothing. Hits it really hard this time. And the only reason I knew he hit it really hard is because the pressure was more. I didn't feel anything. There's no response. Well, we're going to get some work done on this. So he sends me for an MRI. The MRI truck shows up in Clinton. They do an MRI. But it was okay. They could see there were some issues. They sent me for a more high-powered MRI. Comes back, I've got some bulging discs and other issues. In the spring of my sophomore year, in the middle of baseball season, I meet with an orthopedic physician by the name of Dr. John Gruel here in Oklahoma City, where as a sophomore in Clinton, Oklahoma, he gives you the worst news you could possibly hear. You're no more playing football for you, buddy. In Clinton, football is life. As a sophomore, I started as a sophomore, played in the state championship football game. I knew what that was like. No more football. One day, his exact words to me and my mom and my dad sitting in the room, one day you will have surgery on your back. Put it off as long as you possibly can. Okay. What about baseball? You can play baseball, just don't slide on your rear. So, Doc, have you ever seen a beached whale try to slide down the second base? That's what it would look like if I slid head first, and we're not going to do that, Okay. You got to remember, this is in sophomore in high school. I was in tip-top physical shape, weighed in 195 pounds. That was a little, a little ago. No more football. No more anything. You'll deal with back problems for the rest of your life. Still have the MRIs. I still have the X-rays. I still have the doctor's notes from every one of those trips to see doctors and the whole process. Three MRIs later, a bone scan. You name it. Fast forward to, really, January of this year. Last fall, I started having more problems with my back. It was really getting painful. In January, I started going to see a chiropractor thinking, oh, they could probably just kind of snap, crackle, pop, and help me out, knowing that's probably not the best idea for me. I'm wound really tight anyway. It never has worked out well in the past. So I go see a chiropractor, and it just begins to make things worse. I go back and see my family doctor. He sends me for an MRI. My family doctor is an excellent doctor. He doesn't miss things. That's why I'm telling you this. He's a, a DO with a background in physical therapy for 15 years. He knows what he's looking at. <clears throat> I get the phone call after the first of the MRIs that week on my low back, and he says, Trav, I've got bad news. <clears throat> I've already made you an appointment with this surgeon. You're going to go see him. Here's what you've got going on with your back. There's a bone spur. There's this, there's this, and there's this. You're going to go see this guy. Your insurance is going to take care of it. He's my top choice. If I had a problem, this is who I'm going to. Okay. I go in to see him. Same scans. I have the disc from the MRI. In between that one and going to see the surgeon, I have another MRI on my upper neck. Because it hurts. I'm having problems. That one comes back, it's totally fine, probably just, you know, you tweaked it, you sneezed too hard, whatever. 
We're not really sure what, what caused your pain, but you're okay. Okay. So I go, and my, my thought was, okay, going into this, I'm going to pray over them one by one. So when that one came back, and Pastor Mike and I were talking about it, and he said, well, how did the MRI come back? He was out of town at the time. I said, everything came back great on that one. He goes, fantastic, praise the Lord. I said, yeah, one down, one to go. That was my mindset going into it, one down, one to go. So knowing what my family doctor has told me, hey, here's your issues. Okay, I go see the surgeon. Rachel and I are sitting in the room. Hayes is with us. It was on a Thursday morning, didn't have school. So we're sitting there, and Rachel's trying to type all these words as fast as she can that the doctor's giving, but it's not making a whole lot of sense, and he's using technical jargon, and he looks at it, and he goes, I've looked over the notes, and I've looked at your scan that was emailed to me, and I'm looking at the one you're giving me now, and I'm just telling you, there's nothing there. There's no bone spur. You don't have any bulging discs. You don't have, and goes down the list of all the things I don't have. Amen. Yeah. He says, there's, you still have, there's an area of, of concern that we need to deal with. You have an ab- abnormally small spinal column when you get to your lumbar spine. So much so that the spinal cord takes up 95% of the spinal column. So any little pinch or anything causes what we call a compression effect causes pain down the back of your legs, and it just doesn't feel good. It hurts. It's not, it's not great feelings. I'm, okay, that makes sense. Whole time in my, not, my mind, I'm thinking, okay, two down, one to go. Friends, I, I'm not going back to see the doctor for this. I found the great physician. I don't know what you're facing. But you can make up your mind now, Lord, it's happening to me, I don't know why. Or you can make up your mind and say, one down, one to go. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you take on what's in front of you? It may look like a mountain. You know what, I've been to the mountains. I I have skied from the top of of the the Wolf Creek ski basin, and I have skied all the way to the bottom without ever stopping. You know how I got to the top of the mountain? One hill at a time. Was it easy? No. But you have to go up little hills. I didn't all of a sudden get there, and it's a 95-degree angle all the way to the very top. It doesn't work that way. It's a little bit at a time, friends. Stay the course. What is it that you're facing? Because I'm here to tell you today, there's more within you than what you're facing. There's more power in you than what's against you. I don't care what you've got going. I don't care what the doctor has said. It doesn't matter to me because I found the great physician and he said, by my stripes, you are healed. Stay the course. What are you facing today? There's more within you. There's more. God's given you everything you need for life and for God in the second Peter chapter one, verse three. He's given you everything. Stay the course. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And maybe you're like me and you say, you know what? I got it, I got it all coming at me at one time, it seems like. Guess what? Today is your day, friends.
today, today, today is your day. I don't know what you're facing. Oh, but the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. The very same power. Man, if you're here and you would say, Pastor, I need prayer because I'm facing it. And I don't know how we're going to get through it, but I'm facing it. And I need help. I need God's help. Would you slip up a hand? Okay. Who else? All right. Who else? All right. Who else? Come on. Who else? All right. All right. Friends, here's where the rubber meets the road. Let's say it the old school way. You can say it easy out there when nobody's looking. But we've got to be willing to say, I need help in front of everybody. So in just a moment, our prayer team, our elders are going to come, and we're going to invite you to come pray. I know we're over just a little bit on our service time, but hang with me, because this is where the rubber meets the road. The very same power that raised him from the dead now dwells in you. Sometimes you need somebody to help you unlock it and to realize it's been there the whole time. And so if that's you, I want you to come forward in just a moment, and I want your faith to be stirred that today could be your day to not quit. Don't sell yourself short. There's more within you than what you're facing. Come on, will you stay the course all across the room? Would you stand right where you're at? Elders, prayer team, begin to make your way this way. The worship team's going to sing. We're, we're singing, uh, it's, oh, come to the altar, right? We're going to sing, oh, come to the altar. And listen, if you need God to do the miracle and get out of your seat, if you raised your hand, get out of your seat, begin to come this way so that we can agree with you in prayer that God would unlock what it is that you need. The same power, it's already there. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness. If you raised your hand, if you wanna get saved, if you've got a doctor's visit this week, you need prayer for anything, begin to come this way and let us agree with you that God will do what only God can do. Come on, if you raised your hand, would you get out of your seat and begin to